Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Hey, welcome everyone to Words to the Wise. Can we welcome our campuses who are joining us? Glad you guys are with us today. We are diving deep into the book of Proverbs. And last week, invited everyone here to join us for our 31-day Proverbs Challenge. As a church, we are reading through one chapter of this Old Testament book. Proverbs has 31 chapters or 31 uh, days in this month. So in just one month's time, you can become wicked smart, okay? Gains God's wisdom in all the areas of uh, daily life that matter most. Stuff like relationships, marriage, handling conflict, handling money, raising kids, discerning God's will. And next week... We're going to be talking about relationships, male-female communication, how we sometimes miss each other, how do you use words wisely. So invite a friend next Sunday you won't want to miss about relationships. But today we're going to take a look at what Proverbs has to say about parenting and raising kids in a message I'm calling Wise Families. If you've been reading a chapter a day for the Proverbs Challenge, and it's not too late to start, you can jump in at any time. You probably would have read the first six or seven chapters this week and noticed Proverbs is actually written from the perspective of a parent speaking to their child. Proverbs 1.8 says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your what? Mother's teaching. In many ways, Proverbs is kind of like a child-raising manual for both moms and dads about how to raise sons and daughters who are wise. Notice. The goal is not to raise kids who get straight A's in school or, you know, go to an Ivy League college. The goal isn't for them to, you know, play D1 sports or get a lucrative career where they make a lot of money. That's what the world labels success. Rather, the bullseye of parenting, whether you're mom or dad in Proverbs, is raising kids who are wise, who fear the Lord. That is, they love Jesus Christ and they understand how to navigate life's complexities with godly discernment. That's how we defined wisdom last week. It's having divine discernment for daily living, especially in the gray areas. Because the goal of raising your kids is that they would first have skill in relating to God, but then to other people, the horizontal relationship. Whether they're rich or poor, young or old, every circumstance they're going to face in life, whether it's you know healthy, poverty, prosperity, sexual temptation, marital faithfulness, angry bosses, difficult neighbors, Proverbs says success all boils down to one thing wisdom. So these proverbs or wise sayings were written and compiled by a king by the name of, do you remember this? Solomon, over 3,000 years ago. And proverbs is really an ancient and timeless manual for raising wise kids in a foolish world. Because our kids are growing up in a world today that is increasingly darker by the moment. Moral boundaries are shifting and being redrawn. And what our world encourages them to chase down is what proverbs would call folly. That is fame, celebrity, success, instead of cultivating a life of beauty and meaning and love and true purpose in life. But Proverbs, you're going to see Solomon call out. He's going to be like waving his arms saying, hey, don't follow the crowd. Don't go down this path, the path of folly, which is going to lead you to pain, heartache, conflict, and death in life. Instead, walk the path of wisdom, which leads to God's love and his peace and true success in his eyes. In other words, you can't just follow the world's pattern of living and expect you're going to raise wise kids. This is not about listening to the wisdom of Dr. Phil. Well, I listen to Dr. Phil. Well, he's an idiot, all right? This isn't about, you know, being a tiger mom or a helicopter parent or whatever fad is trending. You can't just wing it and follow the culture. 
That's why Solomon writes, listen, my son, to whose instruction? Your father's, and don't forsake your what? Mother's teaching. Notice Solomon says it takes both, it takes two. Both dad and mom have a responsibility. And from the Bible's perspective, parents, God understands, you are actually the primary teacher in your child's life about life and God. In fact, in the Old Testament, the center of uh, childhood training and spiritual training was in the home, not the church. See, the church only has 40 hours a week with your child. Mom and dad, you have 3,000 hours a year, okay? We got 40 hours. We don't have a magic wand here. What that means is you are the primary spiritual influence, and our heart as a church is just to come alongside you and then support and enhance whatever you're teaching in your home and your family. Now, just to put you at ease, because some of you may be single, you're like, well, what does this have to do with me? We have all different kinds of families here at Liquid, okay? We have single-parent families. We have blended families. We have single adults living at home. We have, we got grandparents who are raising kids. We even have traditional two-parent families uh, in this church, okay? All kinds of families with one thing in common. None of them are perfect, including the families of your pastor. And so that's why this message is entitled Wise Families, because it really does apply to anyone in this room. Some of you are parents with sons or daughters. Some of you are brothers and sisters or aunts and uncles or even grandmas and grandpas, step-parents. Some of you teach teens in high school or you mentor a middle schooler. And we can all use some godly wisdom when it comes to influencing the next generation for Christ. So our anchor verse today is found in Proverbs 22, verse 6. I want to read this together. Big, loud voice, all our campuses. Here's what Solomon says. Start children off on what? The way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Now, let me start by making a disclaimer. This is like the most popular proverb about child raising. And I'm going to tell you, it's also the most misunderstood one. Because a lot of parents read this as a promise. Like, a plus B guarantees C. Like if you just raise your kids this way when they're little, I guarantee a perfect outcome. Here's the problem. It is always a mistake to cherry pick one verse from the Bible and say this is the sum total of God's teaching on the subject. If you're a parent and you latch onto this verse, it's like this is the verse, here's what happens. When your kids grow up and if they're doing well, you know, they never departed from the way. They're always walking down the sidewalk straight and narrow, right down the middle. They never make a false step or a stumble you are going to be filled with incredible pride. You're going to be like, see, honey, we did it right. We are the all-star parents. We're the wise adults. We're not like those other loser families, you know, whose kids are screwing up. If your kids are doing well, you're going to have this like overly inflated sense of yourself and your parenting skills. But here's the deal. If your kids are having problems, you're like, yeah, they're not walking down the middle of the sidewalk. They're, they're playing in the street, okay? They're throwing rocks at the neighbor's car. They're like sniffing their earwax. They're like, they're not the sharpest crayons in the the bunch. You read this proverb and you despair because you're like, oh no, we blew it. We are awful parents. Our kids are fools. We're the reason. Here's the deal. No single proverb contains the whole counsel of God on a topic. It's not how you read the Bible. You don't cherry pick a verse and put it on a plaque, okay? That's what you do when you go to, you know, Jesus Book and Gift. You buy one of those and you... If you want to obtain God's wisdom on something as multifaceted as child raising, you have to read multiple Proverbs to balance it out, and that's what we're going to do today. So Proverbs 22.6, understand, is not a promise. A plus B guarantees C. Rather, it's a probability. Oh, and Solomon says, hey, start children off on the way they should go. He's saying, if you want to be smart, start intentionally training your kids to be wise when they're young because they're most malleable then. 
and it's going to increase the likelihood that they'll make wise decisions as adults because you'll have a longer runway. So start young. Be intentional. Don't wait for like the perfect moment, like when I have more time or when they're more mature. Just start at a young age, which admittedly is hard, easier said than done, right? Uh, quick show of hands so I know who I'm talking to. How many of you have young children? Young children under the age of 10? Okay, under the age of 5? Under the age of 5? Uh, yeah, some of you are like, you're like, what? You're, you have bags under your eyes. You're not even, a, you're kind of sleeping even as I'm talking, right? Let's be honest. Raising kids is exhausting work. In fact, one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan, describes the experience in a funny way. See if you can relate. I uh, recently became a father. Thank you. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. No applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four? Well, that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> the good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I caught it through. I haven't slept in seven years. I didn't always look like this. I'm actually Puerto Rican. But the wear and tear of parents. I used to have thick black hair. I was muy guapo. No mas. No more guapo. Baby at home. Babies are a lot of work. I try and pitch in. I do diapers. I mean, I don't change them, but I go, you got to do this diaper. No, we have three other kids, too. A seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a two-year-old. I should probably learn their names. Try and be a good dad. I sat the older three down and I explained to them that the new baby does not mean I love them any less, but I will have to let one of them go. So if anyone knows of a toddler rescue, maybe we could get Sarah McLaughlin to do the commercial. I will remember. Raise your kids in the right way. And if they depart from it, give them away, right? Put that proverb on a plaque. What I want to do is introduce you guys to a more complete picture of parenting that you can use at every stage in every phase of your family. Because as we're reading the book of Proverbs as a whole, you're going to discover there are really four phases of parenting, depending on the age of your kids. The first is the discipline years, ages one through five. Those of you with babies know this. The days are long and hard. Uh, you're trying to survive, right? There's diaper bags and strollers and playpens and Bjorns. You're not asking, how do I raise a teenager? You're trying to survive your toddler. And you're like, it's going to go on forever. No, no, no. It's a very short season. It's only five years until the training phase. I outlined all these in your notes. These are the grade school years where my two kids are right now. They're learning the basics of life, right? Reading, writing, reality television, all the important things. My son Dell's in the sixth grade. Parenting looks very different if you are the mom or dad of a middle schooler because they are on the doorstep of adolescence. They're gaining independence. Like my daughter who starts high school in the fall, she is entering the coaching years. These are years 12 through 18 where you come alongside your kid and ask more of the coach or a consultant. Think of it this way. If discipline is telling the kids what to do, do this, don't do that. 
Training is explaining why. Coaching is the how. It's coming alongside a middle school or high schooler, and you, you're coaching them. How do you navigate you know, relationships wisely? How do you think for yourself? And this is a very turbulent time. Most parents barely survive it. But those who do get to the final stage known as the friendship years. And this is 18 and older. As your kids become young adults, they may get married one day. They may potentially start family of their own. Friendship is actually possible between a mother or father and their son or daughter. This is a beautiful goal for a strong family. Now, I need to give you a full disclosure. In the Lucas home, our ultimate goal for our kids is not to have well-behaved kids. It's just not our goal. Some of you are like, well, that explains a lot, okay? Uh, Our goal is not that our kids go to an Ivy League school or, you know, play college sports or have a high-end career where they make a lot of money. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not a biblical goal. That is a Western goal. We want more. We actually want our kids to be relationally rich, that they would first have this deep abiding friendship with God, that's the vertical, and then a friendship with us. We want them to love Jesus Christ and discover why why do they have these gifts and talents? How are they going to be used in the story of redemption that God's telling? But then, listen, that we raise them in a way that when they leave for college and they enter their single years, they start families of their own, they'll voluntarily want to spend time with us as friends because of the bonds of trust and friendship that we're building now. This is our goal, but watch, there's a lot of work to do before you can ever get here. In fact, I have noticed that a lot of parents make two big mistakes. Some try to be friends with their kids in the early years, the discipline, the training years, when the reality is, listen, you're like, you know, I, I want to be friends with my third grader. Newsflash, he's a terrorist, okay? You don't negotiate with terrorists, okay? In other words, they neglect the discipline and the training at a younger age when kids need it the most. But then here's the second mistake. After failing to discipline their kids in the early years, what happens? They enter middle school or high school and they start to rebel. They go off the rails and the parents freak out. They're like, what are we going to do? And they're like, you know what, we got to get, we got to, you know, crack the whip. And all of a sudden they start clamping down when they're supposed to be letting go and it's game over because the kids are going to buck that. They're going to resist it. and It's going to be a civil war. Those are the two mistakes a lot of parents make. They get these four phases out of sequence. Well, what I want to do for you right now is I want to thread Proverbs and trace it through every phase of parenting. Because wise parenting looks different at every age and stage. And I'm going to share with you some principles and some practices that Colleen and I have tried with our guinea pigs. I mean, our kids. (laughs) But let me warn you, I resonate with what the 17th century poet John Wilmot famously said about raising kids. John Wilmot said this. Before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories, okay? (laughs) So let's start first with the first five years, which Proverbs describes as the discipline years. If you're taking notes, you will see Proverbs 13, 24 highlighted, which reads this. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who what? Loves their children is careful to, what's the word? Discipline them. Love and Discipline, discipline and love. Those are the two twin ingredients of wise parenting in the early years, according to Proverbs. In other words, if you love your kids, Solomon's like, you're going to set up guardrails. You're going to introduce boundaries at an early age. I'm going to draw something for you. I put it in your notes as well. I'm going to draw you a baseball diamond. Here's how a way to think about it. Here's a baseball diamond. And if going out to left field, you know how you have the foul poles, like that says whether something is fair or foul? Going out to the left field foul pole Solomon is like, the number one ingredient you have to have to raise wise kids is love. The home has to be warm. There has to be affection. But the second, on the right field foul pole, is discipline. 
If there aren't boundaries, if there aren't consequences, if there aren't rules, your kids are going to go haywire. Now look at something. Basically, there's this huge open field of play of parenting. Your kids all have different personalities and all different temperaments, and there's huge freedom in how you parent them. But Solomon's like, the two twin foul poles in every home have to be love and discipline. Parents need to be warm, but parents need to set limits. They need to be affectionate, but have clear consequences for bad behavior. Now, I grew up in a home that I think did a pretty good job like navigating the tension of love and discipline. Uh, my parents were super you know, affectionate. They loved me unconditionally. But when I got out of line, they did introduce this, okay? The wooden spoon, all right? Uh, I, I know this is going to surprise you, but it's so, so funny. When my mom would actually take this out to stir spaghetti, I'd be like, what happened? You know, what I do? You're just going to shock you. I could be a little rambunctious as a kid, okay? And whenever I kind of broke the rules, I get a few swats followed by a lot of hugs. And I remember being seven and outsmarting. I thought I outsmarted them. I remember I you know, told a lie or something and sent me to my room. They're like, okay, here we come up, wooden spoon. And I got one of those hardcover books and put it in the back of my underwear. And mom, of course, classic, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm like, try it. And she's like, whack, and actually broke the wooden spoon, you know? What's funny is in the Old Testament, the rod, it refers to more than corporal punishment. Don't get caught up in the weeds of spanking, that kind of thing. Discipline in the Bible actually means to teach and to train. Think of it like an athlete who undergoes training, right? Discipline looks very different for every kid. For some kids, discipline is just a verbal correction. For others, it's a timeout. For others, it's, you know, loss of privileges. I think of my own children. Uh, Chase is our oldest. She's a classic first child. She is, uh, you know, oh, she is, she is um, the best way I can say it is she is, she's an all-star. She's amazing. She wants to be Taylor Swift. There she is. Can you give her a hand? I love, I love my daughter, Chase. She's obedient. She's compliant. She's verbal like her dad. It's funny, as a little girl, if I even like raised my voice to correct her, like, Chase, she'd be like, oh, daddy. There was no spoon necessary, okay? My son, Dell, on the other hand, all right? He's like me. He has a little boy. He was full of energy and mischief, a little ADHD like, like his dad. And with my son, discipline needs to be swift. It needs to be very clear, but also needs to be warm because he actually has a very sensitive spirit. So it's important for us to reassure him first that daddy loves you before we, you know, throw the Xbox out the car window. <laughs> it, it's kind of funny to me how kids mature, you know, as, as it changes as kids mature, right? Chase is entering the, uh, the teen years, and, uh, and so you do a whole different approach, right? If I want to talk to about Chase something important, I have to knock on her door. Can I come in? Which is like, this is my home, and I'm knocking and asking permission. Okay, that's different. We listen to some Taylor Swift. How you doing? There's not a one-size-fits-all approach to parenting. All your kids are different, and there are lots of ways in freedom to raise kids who are going to flourish in the end, but here's the truth. Each of us has a bias based on the home we grew up in. In other words, uh, you tend to pull the ball one way or the other. So if you grew up in a very strict home, lots of rules, you're like, oh, yeah, my parents pulled the ball to the right. You know what? That was very important for us, and we're going to have a disciplined home. Or you're like, you know what? It was way too strict. It was cold. There wasn't enough love. And so you're you're like, I'm going to be the fun dad, okay? We're going to eat Skittles for breakfast. I don't give a rip, man. We're going to be best friends and have a lot of laughs. It's all going to work out. If you grew up in an unstructured home, how did that work out, all right? See, the danger is when you emphasize love or discipline to the neglect of the other, is you will drift into two parenting distortions. You'll either become a permissive parent or a perfectionist parent. Let me explain these out. And again, as you're taking notes, what a permissive 
parenting kind of looks like, or perfectionist. You're like, oh yeah, tiger mom, don't break the rules, everything's perfection, you gotta be all-stars. Permissive parenting means, it's the family where anything goes, right? There's no boundaries, you know? We're gonna drink Mountain Dew for breakfast, okay? There's no schedule, the TV is always on, kids go to bed whenever they feel like it, and there's few consequences. Mom or dad avoid discipline because, you know what, they're just so tired, they wanna be friends with their child, so there's little accountability. It's kind of like, well, uh, you, you, yeah, kids will be kids, you know? And here's the biggest crime. There's low expectations because the goal for the child is that they're always happy and content. So you avoid pain or consequences at all costs. Ah, so you overslept and you went to school again late. I'll, I'll write a note again, you know, excuse me, we'll make something up. Practice is getting hard, honey. Oh, you can quit the team. Just quit the team or quit piano, whatever it is. What masquerades as love is actually permissive parenting which is literally defined as this. It's trying to love your kids without correction. Permissive parents are enablers who actually won't confront sin or employ consequences. And the tragedy is this. You think you're being loving, but you're really being lax. And your children will rebel just to break rules, just to get a reaction, see if you love them. Because the Bible says, the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Trying to love your kids without correction, that's permissive parenting. On the other side, you have perfectionist parenting. In the perfectionist home, there are a lot of rules. It's kind of run, run, like a drill sergeant, kind of a very tight ship, you know? Dinner is at 6 o'clock. That's 6.03, not 5.55, 6 o'clock, okay? Tuesday is pasta. We are having vegetable lasagna. Shut up and eat it. You're going like to like it. Jammy's on at 7.30. Brush your teeth, 7.35. Read the Bible, 7.45. Lights out, 8 o'clock. Am I clear? What if I don't? At 8.07, you will see a very large wooden spoon coming your way, Okay? This is the goal. Listen, the goal, watch, is a well-behaved child who is under control at all times. In the home, out in public, you need to act the right way. Hey, say the right thing, okay? And you know, we're taking a picture. Smile, smile, smile. <laughs> Everything in the perfectionist home, lots of rules. And if you fall short, there are harsh punishment, often in anger. You never punish in anger. Often it is very swift and severe because it's correction minus the compassion. And often, most tragically, perfectionist parents employ the worst punishment of all, okay? Withdrawal of love and delight in their child. You know, you disappointed me. I can't even believe I call you my son. That's just, that's just not how we do it. Like, I just, you, you, you disgust me. If you don't perform well, love is withheld, which is the ultimate child abuse. See, perfectionist parents make the mistake of trying to correct their kids without love. They get punished for just being immature. And they may outwardly comply. They'll fall into line, but understand something inside. Guess what? Their hearts are growing hard and bitter because they're motivated by fear, not love. And they bristle under these all-star expectations. Second best is not enough. We are raising these kids to be winners, okay? If we're going to do this, you need to be all-state. You need to be first chair, straight A's. It's tiger mom. Get the scholarship. We're in kindergarten. Snap the whip. We got to set the, you know, the foundation. Perfectionist parents say things like this. Um, we got into Princeton. Have you ever heard that? This is a flag, by the way. When you begin talking about your kids with we, we did this, we did that, you may be pulling the ball to the right, okay? You're a little over-invested. So here's my question. As you think about the family that you grew up in, can I ask, which way did they pull the ball? If they, you know, it's equal balance, but which way did they tend to pull it, towards love or discipline? Better yet, if you're raising a family of your own or you have influence over kids, which way do you naturally pull the ball? Do you have a permissive style or more a perfectionist? Typically, we're strong in one and weak in the other, depending on the home we grow up in. 
and what was modeled to us. So think about your family, and here's the question for you. What gifts did your parents give you that you're like, I want to keep? You know, that was really healthy. That made such an imprint on me. What gifts did your parents give you you want to keep? Secondly, what mistakes did they make that you're like, you know what, with God's help, I'm going to leave that behind? Because Solomon says you need both of these in equal measure for a balanced home. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. This biblical idea of discipline, guys, is that we allow our kids to experience short-term pain now to save them long-term damage later on when they grow up. Proverbs 22 says this, folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. In other words, it just comes natural with them. But the rod of discipline will drive it away. As Christians, we believe that every child, including yours truly, is born with this rebellious root called sin, which if it isn't addressed early on, will actually grow into something that could destroy them later on, physically by taking drugs, relationally by marrying the wrong person, sexually by having sex outside of marriage with, you know, a bunch of people. So mom or dad, here's a question. Are you avoiding short-term pain? Because like, I love my kids too much to discipline them. If you are, you are simply guaranteeing that they will experience deeper pain later on in life, which may be a lot more severe in long-term. I like how Dr. Tony Evans put it. This is brilliant. He said, it's far easier to shape a child than to repair an adult. Amen? That's why Proverbs says, parents, parent your children the way God parents you. Remember, God's your heavenly father. How does God parent you? Proverbs 3 says this about your heavenly father. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't resent his rebuke, his correction, because the Lord does what? Disciplines those he loves as a father. The son he delights in. God delights in you. Remember, he is the only perfect parent. There are no perfect parents except for your heavenly father. And your heavenly father is perfectly loving and he's perfectly just. He is tender and yet he is grace, he is truth. Think of it that way. See, love and discipline aren't different things. They're just two sides of the same coin. It's not like God goes from pole to pole. So, well, sometimes he's loving and sometimes he kicks my butt. He, because he loves you, he disciplines you so you'll grow and develop and become mature in Christ. That's his goal for you, maturity in Christ. So when he corrects, it's with compassion, love and discipline. Those are the twin poles of the discipline years in the home that then lead into the training years. And again, this is ages around 5 to 12. And this is the phase in which parents need to communicate very clear expectations. Again, I'm going to let Jim Gaffigan put this in real-life terms we can all relate to. Four kids. <laughs> Bedtime is a crisis. That's why I'm here right now. It's too hard. They act like they've never been to sleep before. Bed? What's that? No, I don't want to do that. Then it becomes some hostage negotiation, but in reverse. Look, if you stay in there, I will give you whatever you want. I will meet your demands. What do you want, a helicopter to Cuba? Anything. Just stay in there. There's always one awake. Like they're taking shifts. All right, I'll annoy them from midnight to two. Who wants three to six? Now let's lie down and practice kicking them in our sleep. 
Because my wife has instituted this open-door policy where if one of our kids has a nightmare, they're welcome to come in our room and pee in our bed. <laughs> Luckily, that only happens every night. Sound familiar? In the training years, kids need clear expectations and boundaries. This is what time we go to bed. No, you can't eat Doritos for dinner, okay? First, we do our homework, and then we play our video games. You can go to the mall, but you can't go alone. In this house, you get 45 minutes of screen time, but it can't be in your room. It has to be in the presence of a parent, so we're going to have it in the kitchen. And we're going to spot check your browser history, because we own it, okay? Setting limits, drawing boundaries, establishing healthy habits and a sense of morality. But here's a caveat, parents. Don't go overboard with the rules, okay? I've seen a lot of families, it says one family, they had this like long list of 20 rules posted on their fridge. Like it began with, you know, make your bed, brush your teeth. And I'm like, you guys can't even remember the Ten Commandments, you know? <laughs> 20 rules. In the training stage, I'm a big fan of keeping it simple. So in the Lucas home, we kind of have three unwritten rules, three things we have zero tolerance for in our, in our home. That is, the first is there's no dishonesty, no defiance, and no disrespect, Okay. You'll notice in your notes, I put, again, you can look these up in Proverbs, but Proverbs 16 says this, or 6 says, the Lord hates, hates is a strong word, a lying tongue and a false witness who pours out lies. So we're like, in our home, lying is unacceptable, zero tolerance. Our kids understand they must always tell their truth to their mom and me. The second is defiance. You probably read it this week. In Proverbs 5, it imagines this kid who actually says, how I hated discipline, I spurned correction in my heart. I wouldn't obey my teachers or my instructors. And soon I was in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Understand, this is different than a kid just disobeying or saying, like, I don't want to brush my teeth. Most of the small stuff, you just got to let it go by, okay? You got to pick your fights. If you're going to fight them on everything, you're going to run out of steam. But for us, we're like, we tell our kids, like, hey, we want you to obey on the first ask. Here's the truth. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. But if they talk back, or they're openly defiant, hey, I need you to turn off the television. No! <laughs> now we got a problem. Why? Because it's a spiritual thing, okay? This is, that's defiance of authority. And as a parent, you actually represent the authority of God in the home. You're setting the dynamic for how they will relate to all authority in life. Final one for us is disrespect. Proverbs 29 says this, a, uh, a reprimand imparts wisdom, but a child left undisciplined, and I thought this was interesting, Solomon writes, disgraces his mother. In our house, obviously, we want kids to be respectful to everyone, but we're like, they're going to insult each other. And our kids, you know what? It's, it's like you can disrespect each other. To some extent, you can even disrespect me as a dad. But if you respect mom, disrespect mom, you disrespect my wife, we're going to have a major problem now, okay? So in our house, three simple rules in the Lucas household, right? No dishonesty, no defiance, no disrespect. It's funny because we were driving the car one time, and my son Dell's in the back seat, and he says, Dad, I think you're missing one. I was like, no, I, I think these are good. And he's like, no, we should never worship the devil. <laughs> like, so we added a fourth. No dishonesty, defiance, respect, no devil worship, okay? This is a very high bar in our house, all right? This is how we just roll. The challenge to this comes in the coaching years, which is the start of middle school, okay? You let your child begin making decisions. You give direction and feedback but it's not about like, can I have a play date? They pick their friends. They pick the sports they want to play. They pick the music they want to listen to. And you get to coach them on it, all right? This is, good. This is going to blow your mind. It did for me. Our pastor of Liquid Family, Hosil Siegel, she told me this. She said, Tim, you got to understand, 
middle school is the second fastest development time of a child's life, second only to infancy. In other words, the first two years are the fastest, and then middle school is. Because physically, they go through their biggest growth spurt, intellectually, biggest cognitive development, emotionally, the hormones are raging, and spiritually, this is the moment they decide to make their faith their own. Do I just go with mom and, mom and dad say, what do I believe about God? How do I relate to him? So very important moment. So I'm going to give you some very, very wise advice if you're taking notes. Ready? Don't freak out. All right? That's a, I don't have the exact verse number for this, okay? When, when they get to middle school, this is all about keeping open lines of communication. Colleen taught this to me when Chase turned around 10 or so. She took me aside and she goes, listen, Tim. She goes, things are going to be a little bit crazy here as, as, as the kids hit puberty. And I thought she was actually, you know, talk, she was like, you know, we're going to give the talk to our daughter. And then I realized she was giving the talk to me. <laughs> She's like, Tim, I don't want you to freak out because there's going to be all these hormones in this house for the next few years. And we got to keep open lines of communication. You understand? And I was like, oh, indignant. I'm like, of course I understand. She's like, Tim, you freak out about this stuff. And she's right, because my family was a little bit more uptight, a little bit shy when it came to things like, you know, sex and puberty and all that kind of stuff. But Ka has a great relationship with her mother, very open. She's very intuitive about this stuff. It's incredible. What she gets middle school girls to tell her is unbelievable. She'll be driving them to volleyball, and there'll be four girls in the back seat, and they're Snapchatting away. And she'll be like, all right, girls, I want to know all the dirt. Who likes who? And they're all like, oh. Well, Jimmy Johnson hooked up with because she's led Girl Scouts for years, so they trust her. And what's so cool is no matter what they tell my wife, she never freaks out. Mrs. Lucas, one of the middle school boys, his brother had a party, and there was pot at it, and the cops came, and she's like, really? You guys want to go to Starbucks? She does not freak out. She just asks more questions. And so they ask more questions of her. They're like, Mrs. Lucas, do, do boys really care if you shave your armpits? And she, and she coaches them through this stuff. Coaching is just coming alongside and asking strategic questions. And so Kyle is like, Tim, don't freak out. If you're, if you're nervous, just ask questions because you got to earn trust. Trust is critical from your child to you. Let me share with you a provocative quote. Some of you are going like, I don't know if I agree. It's from Parenting Beyond Your Capacity by Reggie Joyner. He says this, too often, parents think their primary goal is to get their children to follow the rules. But during the formative and teenage years, it's actually more important for parents to earn trust with the child than for the child to earn trust with the parents. When I first read that, I thought it was a misprint. I was like, no, 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 no. Kids need to earn trust with me. You know, this is my house. And that's true. But during the coaching phase, it's judo. It's flipped around. It's actually more important for parents to prove they can be trusted than for the child to earn trust. Because kids at this point, they're testing brave new waters. They're, they're trying out a new identity, new friends, and they need a trusted adult who they, they have confidence is going to stay cool and composed and measured in response, who's not going to freak out when the turbulent, choppy waters of adolescence hit. Because here's the deal, parents. You are going to hear about a party where there was alcohol. You are going to, so-and-so's brother was found with pot, and I guarantee you're going to read a social media post that you are not going to like, oh, it's on their permanent record. What you do in that moment, watch, whether you overreact or don't freak out will be decisive for your child in deciding whether they can trust you with that conversation or not. Again, my wife instinctively understands that. She's a Jedi. She's like my mentor in this. I'm a Padawan learner. Uh, she coaches me in how to stay calm and ask good questions. So a couple of years ago, I picked my uh, daughter up from a, from a middle school event, and she gets in the car. She's like, hey, Dad. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And so she gets in the back seat, and, uh, and she starts, you know, texting all that. And then she just goes, ugh. I'm like, what is it? And she's like, no, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. I was like, no, come on. You know, you can tell Dad. What is it? And she's just like, well, if you must know, Dad, 
one of my friends is buying their first bra. And I'm like, why did I say that? Like, why did I, you know, I knuckle start, you know. But I hear Kyle, Kyle going, stay, don't freak out. Ask more questions. And so I'm like, a training bra? Wow, that's, that's cool. What? Like, what kind of comment is that? She's like, not really. And I was like, no, that's cool. You guys are becoming young women. And now I'm sounding weird and everything. And I'm thinking of my wife who's like, just ask more questions. And I'm like, well, do you have other friends getting training bras? What? happening here? And she's like, dad, now that now I'm really nervous. And when I'm nervous, I start talking. I'm like, no, these are important milestones, you know, training bras, you know, periods. Uh, how about periods? Does anyone have, why am I talking about period? I literally said this word, it's coming out of my mouth. I'm like, no. And we're blocked from the house. I pull in the driver. I'm like, well, where? She's like, ah, she goes running in. Call saying, how was it? You know, she's like, what happened? I was just like, nailed it. You know, just not freaking out, asking good questions. <laughs> there really is no proverb I can give you for this stage. Even Solomon lacked wisdom for this. So don't freak out, pretty much covers it. Because middle school, remember, is the last preventative environment before they make it to high school and make autonomous choices. And when there's conflict, and there will be, with your kid, take it from Solomon. Listen, win hearts, not arguments. Can we say that together? Win hearts not arguments. Last verse, you might have read this week. Proverbs 4.23, Solomon says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. In other words, don't focus on their behavior. You always go for their heart because that's where all the behavior flows from, what's going on inside the kid. And so understand as teenagers, they're going to argue, right? Now they're like, that's unfair. Why, can't, why do I always stay out till 11 o'clock? You let Ryan stay out till 12 o'clock on Saturday. You're a hypocrite. You have an RTD. They're going to start throwing sermon stuff in your face. You don't understand, you know? Now, when it was five, it's very easy to end the argument. You're like, time for bed. You pick up their little body, and you walk it in. Ten, you know, ten years old, it's a little bit heavier, but now, you know, okay, you need to move. And, uh, but what do you do when they grab their car keys and walk out the door? They drive away. What? See, as young adulthood increases, your control diminishes. And what a lot of mistakes parents make, especially men, we're just like, you know what? We got to tamp down the rebellion. And so we power up. This is my house. We're going to focus. You're going to... And we focus on... That's how I do it. <laughs> we focus on compliance. I'm going to win this argument. But you lose your teen's heart in the process. See, every family fights, guys. But there's a world of difference when you fight with someone and when you fight for someone. When you fight with someone, they put walls up around their heart and the relationship unravels. But when you fight for your child, not with them, the walls actually stay down and intimacy and trust deepens. So understand, you may need to take a step back when things get heated, but you'll never give up. Even if your son or daughter, they slam the door, I hate you. They need to know that behind the door, you're not walking away. You're going to stay and fight for the heart. So dad, even if your marriage is falling apart, you fight for a relationship with your daughter. Even if your son gets in trouble or blows it in high school, don't just crack down on, on his behavior. Show you are committed to fighting for his heart and do everything you can to preserve that relationship. Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart because everything else flows from it. You are going to see the heart mentioned over and over and over again all throughout Proverbs. I remember my own father fighting for my heart during my senior year in high school. I was playing in a hockey league with a 
some college-age guys, and my dad comes to see me play, and I'm 18, right? So I'm trying to, you know, flex my muscle. I'm just a boy, but I'm trying to prove I'm a young man, all that. And during the hockey game, you'll be shocked, right? A fight broke out. <laughs> uh, the other team had some goons who were kind of manhandling our guys, and so we get kind of into a scrap, and there's pushing and shoving, and this one guy kind of gets in my face and tries to intimidate me, and what he did is he slashed my stick and knocked it out of my hand. And I was like, well, I got to turn the other cheek. So I start skating away. And he's like, yeah, that's what I thought. And I just go, what'd you say, monkey face? <laughs> like, I just, like, something snapped in me. And his eyes, like, went wide. He had a very big nose. And we're pushing and shoving. And then my guy's like, yeah. And I just, like, totally lost it. All my buddies are there. I lost my mind. Temporary insanity. I was like, you mother effer. I'm going to kick your A. And literally, the crowd's going crazy. They're taking the penalty box. I take a swing at the guy and look up in the crowd, and I see my dad. And he's just standing there like this, blank-faced. And we make eye contact. And my head went down, but I did see out of the corner of my eye, he just went, and he walked out of the stands to the parking lot. And you got to understand something. You guys know this. My dad, he's my role model. He's a righteous man. He's the wisest man I've ever known. He loved the Lord with all his heart, was married 49 years to my mom, faithful to his wife, dedicated to his kids. He was my idol growing up. He's the guy I want to be now that I'm a father. And I see my dad in the stands watching me lose it, and he goes out to the parking lot. And I remember coming out with my bag and getting into the passenger seat, and I was like, oh, man, the silence on the ride home. And so I just said, Dad, I don't even know what to say. I'm so sorry. I, are you angry? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, no, I'm disappointed. And the weight of those words, there's nothing worse. I wish he had pulled over and, like, whipped me or something like that, you know? Because I'm thinking, like, now there's going to be no more hockey. I told you there's a corrupting influence, you know, blah, blah, blah. Instead, he starts pulling off. I'm like, where are we going? He said, come on, we're going to go eat. And he pulled into a diner, and we sat down at a booth. And as we sat there, real quiet and ordering a cheeseburger, I just go, Dad, I, again, I'm sorry I lost you. I go, Tim, just quiet, quiet. Listen to me. Look at me. And I looked at him. He said, Tim, I don't know who that was for, but I hope it wasn't for me. Because, son, I want you to know something. You would never have anything to prove in my eyes. You have nothing to prove. I love you, I believe in you, and I know you're better than that. And over a cheeseburger in a New Jersey diner, my dad went after my heart. All the pride and the insecurity that was driving my outrageous behavior. And he forgave me, and then when we got home, he didn't just go tell mom, at least she never let on that she knew. And that was the day that our friendship grew, because I knew I would be able to trust my dad even when I failed spectacularly. And now, 30 years later, I'm a father. And my dad is still in my heart, even though he's passed on. After I grew up, we actually became friends. That's my dad, Del Lucas. And this is my son, Del Lucas, who's named in his honor. And even though my dad isn't with me, he fought for my heart. Now I'm fighting for my son's heart. So parents, listen to this carefully. If God gives you the wisdom to navigate these years the discipline, the training, the coaching, by God's grace, you may one day enjoy this, friendship. But you need the Holy Spirit's wisdom at every phase. You've got to learn to win hearts, not arguments, if you're going to get the payoff here. Friendship with your kids is possible when they're older. It's beautiful, but it requires love and discipline and conflict and correction, and it's messy and it's going to take work. But you know what? God says, I'm here to help you. You have a resource. He's called your heavenly father. That means it's never too late because some of you are sitting here and you're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're thinking of all the gaps in your families or you're thinking of all the mistakes you've made and you're like, man, I wish I knew this back then. 
Or maybe you have a son or a daughter who's rebelled, they're a prodigal, they've run away. Do not fall for the lie that it's too late. It is never too late for fight, to fight for their heart. Amen? Your father's specialty is restoring broken family relationships. That's why he sent Jesus. And it's never too late to ask him for help where your family has problems. All you have to do is ask Abba, your daddy, for it. So that's how we want to end today's service. We're going to invite those of you who have family issues to actually come forward so we can pray for you. As your church family, we literally want to stand with your family and ask God to bless your children and heal relationships. So our spiritual care teams at each campus are coming up. They're going to stand underneath the side screens. And when I end in in prayer, if you're here today and you're like, man, I got a situation or I got a, a crisis, we'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you want us to pray for someone who's not even here. Guys, there is no broken relationship your heavenly father can't fix. So after I say amen in about 30 seconds, just come forward to one of our teams and we'll pray for your family. As your spiritual family, we really believe Jesus Christ can give you the strength and the wisdom to be the godly influence your child deserves. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that we can call you Father, that the deepest truth of the universe is at the center of all reality is a love relationship between a parent and his child, between a father and his son, Jesus. So thank you, God, that we are part of your family. Father, we need wisdom. We are no perfect parents in this room, starting with me. But Father God, we want to do better. We want to raise children in the fear of the Lord who who learn to love you, Father God, and who learn to shine like lights in a dark and crooked generation. So Father God, we come to you now for healing. We ask the Holy Spirit, would you pour it out on every family here, every mother, father, aunt, uncle, child, Father God, they're in your family first. Thanks for giving them to us. But teach us, Father God. Make us wise in all the ways that count the most in the Father's eyes. We ask that all glory would go to Jesus Christ. And everyone said together, amen. Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.